do that for 15 minutes and I don't know, for instance, today be able to meet you and do this and then go home and maybe do some riding, mm. hit the gym, just, you know, maybe work on some triceps or something, you know? I mean, then I've really made the day. Mm. I've really... Tricep meat is the most important meat. Well, just ask a triceratops. Triceratops. <laughs> didn't really make much sense. No. No, it, it certainly didn't. So what sort of anecdotes do you give at the neighbours? I've got some funny ones. I've got some like... I've got some uh, some some core ones yeah. that will always get a good laugh. <laughs> um, oh, one of them is hands up if you don't remember me. Um, <laughs> that's just an icebreaker. Yeah. Um, and then if people watch the show and they're interested, I talk about different things. Or um, you would my, imagine most people on a neighbor's bus probably have watched the show and no, are interested. Surprisingly. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and then sometimes you'll get some people being, like, nasty or being, like... And I, I just think it's really funny. Mm. They'll, if, they, if they were to say something like, oh, I don't remember you or I don't watch Neighbours. I'm like, you do realise this is the Neighbours tour? Like, you could be doing anything. <laughs> um, no, some of the good ones are, like, uh, if I talk about... Um, someone asks, you know, do you get recognised from from being on the show or what's the best thing about being on the show or have you been to England? Like any number of those things could lead to this little anecdote, mm. which is like I was uh, in the UK and I was, um, I went there for my first Christmas and in pantomime and uh, I got a visa for that pantomime and I always had to constantly leave the UK, go somewhere in Europe for two or three days and I'll go back on a holiday visa when I get a new job, I would again leave, go to Amsterdam for three days and come back on that new work visa. I'd never had a visa that... I had always had a work visa or I'd leave and come back on a holiday visa until I, I got another job. But I was there for two and a half years, so I did it like 10 or 12 times, mm. leaving and coming back. And um, I got a little bit lazy, so on my like 10th trip out, um, I overstayed my work visa by about 10 days. And I was like, it'll be fine, whatever, like, you know. And I left, went to somewhere like Spain or something and came back. And I was going through customs and the woman was like, I see you overstayed your visa. I was like, oh, did I? I'm just, you know, a little innocent Australian boy. I, I didn't know. <laughs> She's like, this is very serious. I was like, oh, sorry. She's like, no, I don't realize this is very serious. And she made me go and stand in one of those little boxes, like that's surrounded by like tape. Right. Um, like on my own, like in isolation. And she left me there for what felt like an hour. It was probably 10 minutes. Um, she came back and she looked at me sternly and she put her finger up and beckoned me to come forward. And I did. And then uh, I got there and she goes, now let me get this right. You're from Neighbours? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, on your way, have a good trip. And let me write through. So I was like, well, that's probably the coolest thing that's ever happened. Hello to you all in the Coming Up Next work. This is Coming Up Next, episode number 30, with me, Alistair Marks, and I have a really, really special episode for you today. My guest today is a man who I only met a few months ago. He called me up one Friday afternoon and asked if I'd like to collaborate with him on a film entry for TropFest. 
I said, sure, why the hell not? Even though there was only about 10 days to go until the, uh, the submission deadline. And lo and behold, uh, three months later, and we are in the top 16, getting ready to go up to Sydney to compete in this year's Tropfest finals. You may know him from his time spent on Neighbours, or you may know him from his web series, Footballer Once a Wife. My guest on coming up next, episode number 30, Ben Nicholas. And before we get to the ramble, friends, set your DVRs to record on Sunday the 14th of February 2016, which is this year, unless you're listening to it in another year, in which case, that's pretty awesome. How many episodes are we up to? It'll be screened on SBS2 across the nation, and we would absolutely love your support in tuning in. Our film's called Wastes of Time, and I have absolutely no doubt that it will be in amongst a group of truly extraordinary Australian films. So remember, SBS2, Sunday the 14th of February, Dropfest 2016, waste of time, will not be a waste of your time. But for now, here's Ben and I talking about our experience making a film together in 10 days and his life and career. I had a similar experience where I went to London and I didn't have, this is when they first started doing, this is going to make me sound old e-tickets oh yes brilliant um so you didn't uh, necessarily have like a paper itinerary your itinerary was linked to your passport and the uh i guess the old codger at the uh, at the customs um in heathrow didn't really take kindly to the 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 e-ticket this yeah this was 2004 and um, so he didn't believe that I had a, um, a, a ticket out of the country. <laughs> yeah, right. So he just saw that I had a ticket coming in, didn't believe that I had a ticket going out. I said, look, if you just scan the, my passport, you'll see. And he said, no, nah, it's not my job. And I'm like, all right, well, if you call the, the check-in, let them know. I'm sure they that can, they can, they can tell you. And he said, no, nah, it's not my job. Go and sit over there. So he made me sit and I waited for like an hour. I was on the phone to my dad or something as it happened and I said, Dad, I have to go because I'm being detained at customs. <laughs> Hung up the phone. <laughs> yeah, nice one to leave your dad hanging. Yeah. And they made me turn my phone off. Um, and then I was basically Sorry, taken... Dad, I'm just going to get a cavity search. I'll call you back. Yeah, it was a little bit like, where is this going? And then they took me in into like a detention kind of area and detained me in like a uh, um, airport prison, I guess, for like uh, or holding cell for like six hours or something. Jeez. While they sorted out the fact that I was actually leaving the country yeah. in like a week. God, technology. Mm. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, have we started? Oh yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Ah, cool. Sneaky. Sneaky. We actually started recording uh, while Nick was making toast. Nah. There are cameras in the kitchen. Uh, cameras. There are microphones in the kitchen. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. You guys are running a pretty cool operation. Yeah. This ain't no... Uh, I was actually listening to you while I was running late wow. to, to get here. This ain't no uh, London airport. Yeah. Circa <laughs> 2004. This is the big leagues. This is the big leagues. Um, so today is a... a particularly special ramble because I've got Ben Nicholas with me here today who we've made a, uh, a short film together for, uh, for Tropfest and we're in the, in the top 16, which yes. is, for anyone listening, 
internationally is the uh, the finals of one of the biggest or the biggest short film competition biggest, in the world. I think that's what they say. Yeah, that's their, that's not, their registered yeah. trademark. That, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, me and Alistair actually only met three days before we filmed the actual thing. Yeah, something or like that. Three or four days before. Well, you called me on a Friday and then we met on the... No, you called me on a Friday. We must have met on a Saturday. We met on... Because we had the first meeting with everyone on the Monday. Yeah. No, we met on the Monday day. Yeah, we met on the Monday Mo- day. We met on the Monday day and yeah. then you came back four or five hours later and we had the big story session mm. with um, people so that we could fleece all their good ideas mm. and then make a film out of it. I brought uh, Phil and Paul, who's been on this show as well. Oh, awesome. Mm. Um I bet that was a hoot. Mm. Yeah, Paul's one. It was just kind of we 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 just went and uh, and it was like I think it was it was about an hour, and it was just great anecdotes and mm. um, he had this amazing anecdote about uh, your creativity and creative output being like um, a spit valve on a um, trombone, and how if you <laughs> if you don't release it often enough, it just builds up and builds up. Yeah, um, right. That's beautiful and disgusting. It was beautifully disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Alistair, I know this is going to sound weird, but I've always considered you to be my spit valve. Um, That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't 100% understand what that means, but yeah. it's just something that I've always felt. For the for the three months that we've known each other? Yeah, yeah, since the beginning. Who was your spit valve before? Oh, I didn't have one. I was just so right. tense. So tense. It's just all built up mm. saliva. It's disgusting. I'll show you some photos. Right. <laughs> There's a South Park uh, episode that is probably a good uh, literal representation of what that might have looked like. I can imagine. Yeah, where they lose the internet. Um, so, <laughs> so we, uh, you called me on a Friday. We met on a Monday, and then that Monday night we had our uh, kind of mastermind session, if you like. Yeah where we spitballed ideas. I think there was probably about eight of us, mm. um, eight or nine of us. People I, don't, who... I don't know if you know this, but up until like, we were probably four hours in, we had some beers, just mm. got our pizza. And I was like, oh, damn, I really thought this was going to work, but we haven't come up with any good ideas yet. <laughs> like some good ideas, yeah, but yeah. there wasn't that one idea that was like, boom. Mm. Because uh, to the people listening... Uh, we were actually simultaneously um, documenting the process. Mm. So I've since looked back at the footage and kind of it's interesting to watch the ideas jigsaw together from other snippets of ideas that eventually led us to... Because when you're in it, I guess you maybe don't necessarily understand the steps that we're taking to get to the story that we have ended up telling. But Dave suggested something about time travel originally. Dave I Gannon. Carl. And then... Carl that did a little bit of a when took that a little bit further, but then it wasn't until Paul got there after the pizza mm. that um it went to the next level and uh um and then we were able to finally settle on our story mm. a sci fi time travel <laughs> story um, um yeah yeah it's crazy how that happens and i was uh, I get to a certain point in those sort of creative sessions where i um, you started screaming like yeah. a fourteen-year-old child. Yeah, and I started. I thought it was weird, but I was like, 
Phil and Paul were like, no, nah, this is Alistair. This, this is part of does. my process. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you spit valving. Yeah, well, we didn't get to the part where I actually start um, throwing eggs against a wall. Wow. Um, not for any reason in particular. It's just to see what will stick. Wow. Because that was what we were taught at film school. Yeah. Just throw <laughs> as much as you can at the wall to see. Cool. What will stick? <laughs> <laughs> I saw where that was going. Like I was like, oh, he's going to do the stick yeah. joke. It's yeah, cool. it, was, it was. I didn't need to underline it like I no, did. That was brilliant. By explaining it. Yeah. I am simple, so I'm, I appreciate the... Um, well, that yeah, that's what I, I that's what I figured. Yeah, um, take it for the lowest common denominator, which is Ben, and then yeah. work up from there. The lowest common denominator. Wow, that's two in thirty seconds. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You'll have to cut that out of the actual recording though, if you want full... people to respect you in any way. <laughs> this is my full quota of puns for the episode done in thirty seconds. There you go. Um, so yeah, so we were we're making this documentary. Well, you're making this documentary. Uh, about us making this Tropfest film. And it's essentially a way of showing, I guess, what was what was your original intention when you called me? Because when you called me, you said you wanted to make a short, but you also wanted to make a documentary about making a, a Tropfest film. Yeah, so um, I had uh, finished working on something else this year, which had taken up a lot of my time. That was um, Football Once a Wife. Yep. yep. Um, it's and a great web series. Thank you very much. And uh, it was great to be working on that and it consumed my life for six, seven, eight months, which was great. But then when it aired and went online, I had nothing to do. And uh, my girlfriend was away and I was twiddling my thumbs at home and I was like, well, what can I do? I was like, um, Tropfest was coming. And we had 15 days, I think, at that point or 14 days. And I was like, I can't make a Tropfest film in 15 days. I'll sleep on it. And then I woke up the next day and I'm like, shit, I can't make a Tropfest Tropfest film in 13 days. If I'm going to do this, got to hit it straight away. So I think I called our mutual agent, Catherine. Mm. And I was like, can you put me in touch with some people that would be able to help me achieve this in a short space of time? Um, And I was like, you know what? I won't start it straight away because how to make a Tropfest film in 12 days doesn't sound as cool as how to make a Tropfest film in 10 days. So I was like, I'll leave it till the Monday and um, we'll gather a group of people together um group of really talented people yourself paul um phil um some guys from cranky fish some guys from camarilla and uh yeah we um i guess the idea of the documentary was to just show how much effort and uh goes into making what is essentially something that you enjoy for seven minutes Mm. um i can remember the location that we chose for the short film um we uh i was speaking to the owners of that of that house who have nothing to do with film or television and they were like so is this a full like we've shot for one day Mm. is this a full-length film that you're you're making and it's it's funny that people just have no concept of what it takes to Mm. create you know for us seven minutes seven minutes was like an absolute mayhem to film in one day yeah in 10 hours and to someone on the outside who doesn't isn't familiar with filmmaking process you know, that's was that an hour and a half of... But you were here for 10 hours. How did you not shoot an hour and a half? Mm. It's like, no, well... Even you know. doing a seven-minute film in one day is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, fortunately, we wrote something that was fairly logistically sound, so it's mm. only really one... One room. One, one room, one scene. Two people. Two people. Um, one one time period. It's, it's effectively... One a, time period? It is time travel. <laughs> have we given anything away? No, I don't no, think we have. I don't think so. Um, well, it's one evening. Yes, that's it. 
um, shall we say. <laughs> nice red mm. herring there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we created something that was logistically sound so that we could achieve it in one day. I think we originally said that we were going to shoot it over two days and then we stripped it back when we realized we probably could get it all in mm. one. See, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, last 12 months I've just gotten super, super passionate about filmmaking and, and I just love it and it's incredible. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, I decided to make the Tropfest film over the weekend of the grand final, yeah, the football grand right. final, and I'm also a bit of a mad football supporter. And I was like, oh, should we shoot for two days? You know, I need a few days because we had 10 days to work with. So I'm like, okay, we write a few days and then we pre-production and cast and organize the location, which actually ended up being pretty hard to find the location. Mm. Um, the cast was great. We had Luke Arnold, who strange might know from um, uh, in, excess. in Excess and he's Black in Black Sails and filming the US TV show at the moment. And um Ian Bliss, who was uh, from The Matrix. He did the second and third Matrix. And then Love My Way as well. I think. Love My Way, yeah. Great actor. Mm. And, um, he's been in heaps of stuff, actually. Oh, his face is so recognizable. I was mm. looking through his CV going, we'll never get this guy. <laughs> um, and he's like, I just really want to work with Alistair Marks. And I was like, yeah, who yeah. wouldn't want to work with Alistair Marks? That's something I hear a lot. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it was my first, but I mean, I take your word for it. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> so uh, we, we got there and... Um, now I'm trying to remember what my, exactly my point was. Uh, I was talking about... Uh, we're talking about the logistics. And, yeah, we're logistics. talking about not shooting on two days. Not shooting on two days. Um, and so uh, I was like, well, well, we'll just sh- we'll shoot two days. I won't be able to watch the grand final. Um, it's fine. You know, come on, be an adult, be a filmmaker. This is what you've got to do to get your film done in 10 days. And then my auntie offered me box seats, free food and drink all day to the private party before and after the grand final and I've never been to a grand final live. So I was like, hey guys, do you reckon we can achieve this in one day? <laughs> and then our producer Julian was like, oh look, I think we need to do it in one day because... That's funny because I also said to him, hey Jules, look, I, I know Ben's really want, wants to shoot this over two days but I reckon we should do it in one. Well, there you go. So we all three of you us guys had, had a my private back. conversation. But there you go, yeah. without each other. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate your support. That's right, great. Um, football means a lot to me. Um, and so I went to the uh, I went to the grand final. So we've documented everything up until this point and the shoot day and everything. And I well, um, just to backtrack just a little bit, um, that script writing session we talked about, which was on the Monday, mm. we then wrote the script. Well, we you you Paul Paul went away and wrote the script on the Monday Overnight. night, um, and then Paul, Phil, and yourself over the next two days or three days, refine the script. I think then, we were refining almost up until the Thursday night. Well, then we... And we got a location cast and crew between that Monday and then when we shot that Friday. Yeah, so we had... Um, and then we had uh, a great a great young lady, um, Eleanor, who did our um, art and set design mm. and organized. <laughs> if, you, if you see the... Uh, bless you. If you see the... Uh, <laughs> if you see the film eventually when it's online... Uh, the set was incredible. It's like this um, workman's garage with. Um, so we were out on the street picking up um, trash off the ground out mm. of people's houses, and I got a, a satellite dish and crazy stuff. And she achieved everything that she did for that whole thing for like three hundred bucks. Mm. She really made that money work. Um, it's amazing when you get really good people who. Um, are just really passionate about what they do, how mm. far they can stretch, even just a small amount of money. Yeah. Um, because 
they're really good at what they do. Yeah. They know the where you need to spend the money and where you can hold back and where you can really um Well the use day before skills. we the day before we were filming, um Julian called me an hour uh, Julian's out was our producer. producer. Yep. Our um our gaff dropped out um the day before and so we had to and I'm pretty sure our gaff was being provided to us for free. Mm. And so then we had to turn around and pay or find another professional that wasn't willing to work for free. So we had to pay for that. You know, it ended up costing us a third of the budget because we had to uh, organize it in the space of a day and you know, you can't get really get favors in that in that short space of time. Mm. So we um had to, you know, put money up and, and pay for it. So there was uh, lots of I mean, you know, lots of hurdles which just make the story better for us and um yeah a nice little memory mm. how much of this um of this crew were people that you'd worked with before on footballer once a wife because i know that um julian costanzo who was our producer uh he produced footballer once a mm-hmm. wife and you brought him into this um because you did enjoy collaborating with him and and um, you enjoyed working with him in that way how many people did you sort of bring on from that uh, our cinematographer was the same yep. jake fisher uh so i guess it's because we're working in such a short kind of turnaround it was kind of good to be able to have people that you know can get the job done mm. um our soundy was incredible uh, uh, keith keith um he was awesome uh the lighting was brilliant uh we had a couple we had Phil was on set, one of the other writers, mm. um, helping out doing stuff. He was on smoke all day. He's it's he's he's an amazing worker. Phil uh, is uh, he, I do a lot of writing with Phil. He works with me in my production company, um, and Mike's Brothers Productions. Yeah, <laughs> just get that in there. <laughs> just throw it in there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like when we made Sweatshop, for example, he was the unit manager on there. He'd never done it before, and he just was like, "Yeah, I'll do it," and just seamlessly kind of stepped into the role once someone explained it to him called me up a few weeks ago he's like so i've been asked to do continuity on a um, on a short film <laughs> what's involved in the job and, I'm, and i just kind of explained to him loosely you know what i believe the job entails because it's going to be different for every person that does it slightly yeah. and then he just went off and did it and then yesterday he's doing locations uh no he's doing um uh, a locations recce with the same people and he's yeah. just um uh, driving around as a driver and he's just he so, just loves it. it he's come to uh he's come to filmmaking later in in life and has already had uh you know a career working um in retail and in it and i think that he just loves it so much and he sees the the value in being versatile and in being flexible that he's just willing to come on set and be the guy that operates the smoke machine yeah. to get the job done mm. Um, There's a lot of that on on this short film, mm, for sure. Yeah, there was. I mean, you, if you were credited for every job that you did, would have been credited in probably every department. Hey, stop it. Hey, you did, man. You, you got to do that when it's you. You know, when if you're making something on that short turnaround and mm. in such a small space of time and and uh, budget, uh, just got to do it. Well, when you're the captain of the ship, there is no job that's too small, in mm. my opinion. That's the way I've always worked. I mean, you asked for a back rub one, you know, during the day. And I thought that was a little bit inappropriate, but I was like, well, you know, if if Alistair needs a back rub to be able to, you know, get through the next scene, then I'll 
give him a nice little back rub. Didn't Catherine negotiate that with you? In yeah, the, I mean, it was negotiated beforehand. It was in my, I said, in my I contract. Just, when it happened on the day, I was still a little bit, you know, put yeah. off by it, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's most people encounter that the first time they work with me, but, you know, you get used to it. That's sweet. Yeah. yeah. Kind um, of weird, but. The, all the skin lesions are a bit, like, sort of make it for a bit of a rough kind of. Yeah, I mean, I exfoliated my hands. It's. That's good. <laughs> um, so was Footballer Once a Wife, was that the first sort of piece of your own... Content? Content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, literally born out of desperation. Mm. Um, I'm an actor by trade, I guess. Um, if we call it a trade. That's not a trade. It's a passion. It's You're a trading your services for money sometimes. Yeah, that's it. Um, actually, I, th- I almost felt at, at one point... I've been back and forth to the States and, and here that my job wasn't even as an actor. I was just an auditioner. Mm. Like that had become my job. I'm a professional <laughs> auditioner for work. So um, I was I had a, I was back and forth to the States, I think four times over the last three years. Um, I had two trips that were really good and give you hope. Uh, and then two trips that weren't very good. What constitutes a good trip? Um, so many different stages and levels for people going to and from the States. Um, if you're heading there for the first time, um, a a really good trip could just be, I got reps. I got representation that will actually put me up for auditions. There's hundreds and thousands of people in the States in LA without representation. And that's like, they they do acting classes and, and they're um, plugging away and, uh, they get repped and that's huge. That's like, 2015 done mm. like i've i've had some success so uh, for me my first trip was getting representation that i was really happy with and then uh that that pilot season which people listening if they don't know pilot season january february march april really busy time in la some people say it's kind of doesn't really exist anymore but it's still when they do a lot of auditions in that period of the year and then um i had a few auditions that year and i, I came back feeling pretty confident I went over halfway through that next year. I didn't have a very good trip. I had no auditions. I was there for three months, no auditions. Um, came back. I went back again for pilot season the following year. Um, had another really, really good year. Um, and so for me, that success was I had a few auditions and I got really close to a couple jobs. And maybe that's better or worse. It gave me a lot of hope. Mm. And, um, you know, they um, Americans, the American, the vibe over there in LA can be very make you feel like you're so close especially when they get in there and they're like you know it's a lot of patting you on the back and telling you how good you are and then you don't get the job um and so that trip was really good and i felt really inspired and i was like this is where i'm supposed to be and this is where it's going to happen for me next and um so i came back and then i went back to the states halfway through that year and i had a really bad trip again right i I think i might have had a couple auditions but not a lot um Mm. kind of almost exactly hit the year before I had a good trip and then a bad during the year. And so I came back really defeated, really down. And I was like, you know, where am I going now? What am I doing? Should I go back to the States? I'm not auditioning back here. So I just decided I was um, waitering doing um, a bar down in St. Kilda. And I was like, I've got to create my own work. I've got to come up with something for myself. I have to create my own vehicle. And I was working at the bar and I came up with the idea for footballer wants a wife during my shift um, I think it was like a 10 hour shift. So I just spent the whole time in my head, nutting out some characters and some concepts and some ideas and nothing, none of it was really 
truly 100% original. Like it's it's all kind of borrowed. I, I really got into footy that year. So mm. I was like, oh, football. I can I know about football. I'll <laughs> do something like that. And um, reality TV is massive in Australia. And I was like, well, that's an easy market to commandeer. Mm. Um, and then it was kind of born from that. So it's essentially, if anyone's listening, Football Wants a Wife is a spoof reality show that follows three professional footballers on their modern day journey for love mm. to love. Um, that's our logline. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, just a really fun series. And it took me about a year and a half, uh, about a year to get it to funding stages with Screen Australia. Mm. Yeah, And so you got funding through Screen Australia and um, then you got to make it. Yeah. So... Uh, I tracked down the guys at Cranky Fish, Jono and uh, uh, Julian, who works there as the producer, and Jono, who um, I tracked down. Jono, he played my character on Neighbours' cousin, so I knew him through that, and I knew he had his own production company, and we'd known each other a little bit, but not too well, so I kind of uh, tracked down some mutual friends and asked them to put us in touch, and then um, pitched him the show, and I had a teaser trailer that my friend and my friend, sorry, myself and my friend Damien had produced which kind of explained the show and he liked it and saw the uh saw the the possibility for it and yeah went for screen australia funding and that was a headache but beneficial and we got the money and we made it mm. i reckon i i met jono from cranky fish not long ago and i looked at him and i'm like i know like i recognize you from somewhere and i think that i auditioned him for my graduating film when I was at film school. Yeah, right. I only sort of put that together recently. Um, didn't give him the role, huh? No, didn't give him the role. I gave it to uh, another guy who was on this show who I used to live with, um, who's now a standby propsman, uh, Nathan Wentworth. Okay. And I'm pretty sure he used to say to me, I was sure you were going to give the role to Jonathan Dutton because... They he used to go. They used to go for the same, same roles. role all the time. It was like the two of them and Nathan Phillips were always sure. going for the same roles, and it was either Jono or um, Nate Phillips that would always get the part. And so he was. He saw that he was up against Jono. He felt like the underdog, and he was like, "I'm never going to get this." Um, but you saw through all of that. I did. fog of <laughs> mystery and yeah. And I was just thinking as you're saying that it's funny because I think I I mentioned to you recently that when I was must have been late teens or early 20s that I auditioned for the part that you eventually did on Neighbours. Yeah, you told me that. Just how... Swings and roundabouts? Yeah, the swings and roundabouts of of this industry. It's so um, small. It is so small. And how everything, you know, when you're that young, I don't know about you, but, you know, you kind of... I was kind of looking at things in such kind of narrow terms. It's like everything is make or break. Mm. Whereas now it's like, things start coming full circle you start like jake who was our dp on um you guys went to uni together yeah we went to uni together uh, and now we've we've just Were you made, guys good friends at uni um we weren't we weren't good friends but we weren't like we no. We, but it's, we it's funny friendly. how you know you'd probably say you are now because now you've been able to work mm. together in a professional environment and enjoy mm. success um on the trop fest film waste of time <laughs> february 14th yeah, 2016. Um, I think they're going to use this February 14th for Chopfest. Like their slogan will be for the love of film. Yeah, right. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's what I came up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they should use that. We should pitch it to them. We should pitch it to them. We've got a slogan for you. Yeah. Pitch it to CGU. Yeah. Thanks to CGU for bailing Trotfest out. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm curious to know, how old were you when you got the Neighbours gig? Um, I was 15. 15? I um, moved over from Adelaide to, yeah, do, right. to do a musical. Did you study... Acting in Adelaide, or was this uh, just kind of like an on the job? I grew up, yeah, on the job. I grew up um, singing and dancing when I was a kid. I can remember the first audition that I ever went for, first big audition I ever went for, was for Boy from Oz the musical in Adelaide, and I had um, a footy game, and then the audition at the same time. And I told Mum I didn't want to go to the audition; I wanted to play the footy game. She dragged me to the audition, and said, "You promised them that you were going to go." Um, she's not a stage mum, but like I. I'd said I really wanted to audition for it and then mm. I wasn't going to go. So she made me go and then I got there and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I started getting through different rounds and I got ended up getting the job, which was great. And so I guess from then on, I started doing musicals in Adelaide um, until I moved to Melbourne and did Oliver the musical Oh yeah, because we found out it wasn't coming to Adelaide. So my mum was like, do you want to go and audition for it in Melbourne? And I was like, really? Is that a thing? <laughs> she was like, yeah. So she drove me to Melbourne. I auditioned. Were there for like two days. Were you auditioning? curious about where all the churches were when you got here? Oh yeah, brilliant, good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's really good. You've used your knowledge of South Australia to to get me. Oh <laughs> no, actually, that's not very nice. Like, uh, you know, it's a nice, peaceful place. Adelaide, it's a really nice place to you know bring out kids. And I just think you're judging it without really knowing it. Yeah, that's true. I am being very judgmental. Um, but we do have weed here. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, they got weed in Adelaide. Yeah, lots of it. Lots of it. Mm. Yeah. Not that I like... That's just what I was told. Yeah. Because um, I was hey. too busy like singing and dancing as a kid to smoke weed and stuff. <laughs> I was like, do you want some weed? It's like, no, nah, I've got a pirouette. Um, anyway, um, pirouette's a type of turn. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was in I've Melbourne. been to the Clips all 500. Oh, there you go. I went to the Grand Prix before you stole it. <clears throat> um, that was me personally. I did yeah, steal that's it. That's why I looked at you. Yeah. Um, you and your evil brother to my right. Who doesn't wear any pants? Yeah, what is with that? You know, we were actually getting into a really good groove. Um, of we'd done quite a few episodes where he had shown some decorum. This all this was, you know what? I, it's a little bit of a touchy subject. Yeah, to be right. honest with you. Like he's literally touching me. That's why it's weird for me. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I was in Melbourne and uh, got. Uh, I did Oliver, which was great. Mum, we we stayed here. We were here for like eight months, and the show went to Singapore for three months as well, which was, you know, crazy. I was fourteen or fifteen. Wow! And then we go back to Melbourne, and we're like, okay, we move back to Adelaide. And I was like, Mum, can we stay? And she was like, Oh, please, Mum, can we have some more? Yeah, she's like, like, oh, we'll, we'll stick it out for a little bit. And so we stuck it out for about six months, and the audition for Neighbours came up, and um, I got the role, and then we moved permanently to Melbourne. And I've been here for. 12 years. Mm. And so what was it like as a 15-year-old to be kind of put into that position where you're a series regular on one of the biggest shows in the country? Uh, it was amazing. It was good. Like so many great memories and opportunities. My The first day I filmed on Neighbours was actually a, a naked streaking film. That scene. Right. So they uh, they said to me, you got this part of Neighbours and I'm like oh my god that's amazing that's so great I'm so happy but you'll be naked next Thursday on set what um so I had to my character was a 
bit of a crazy little kid, and he uh, was streaking on a footy game. So uh, they had a um, modesty patch that they put around um, my member, and then they put a scarf around my neck and taped the scarf to the modesty patch, and then um, I was basically butt naked apart from that, running around <laughs> the um, Optus Oval in the middle of winter. Optus Oval. On my first day. So that was, that was good fun. Mm. And then apart from then, it was um, three and a half, four years of of being on that series and I enjoyed every moment and I um, uh, relished every moment. Mm. It was great. Well, I definitely knew how lucky I was to be a part of it and didn't take it for granted for sure. Mm. What was it like in terms of like the um, the logistics of it, I guess, because you're shooting so much in such a short period of time. Um, definitely a skill that you pick up. Yeah, exp- I mean, explain what uh, what a block of working on Neighbours is like. Yeah, so um, a block of episodes is essentially, for Neighbours, it was a week. So Monday to Friday was a block of episodes. And uh, those five episodes were split into two weeks. Um, and all the outside scenes were filmed in week one. And all the inside scenes were filmed in week two. So that's 10 episodes in two weeks. Uh, yes, technically. So if that's, let's just say that group of episodes was block A. Um, while you're filming block A inside, you're filming block B outside. Mm. So you've always got technically two blocks of episodes. No, three blocks of um three blocks of episodes being filmed at once, I think, or oh, two. Wow. Um, well, that's terrible. Um, so it's it's quite uh, difficult to get your head around. You know, you're inside one week and let's just say a storyline, for instance, that you, Alistair, are on Neighbours and you go to jail. Mm. It's like one week you're performing the deed that you go to jail for, um, but that's filmed inside. So you're also filming the week before when you're free but you're also filming the stuff when you're already in jail in studio potentially if mm. i explain that right yeah yeah so you're um so you're filming three different timelines at once correct and so it's uh difficult to get your head around how that works and mm. you, that's why you have to do work as an actor um we have to do work as an actor anyway but for neighbors you have to really if you're looking at you know 50 odd scenes you really have to have a really clear um, through line of where you are at each moment. And so I used to do a, you know, what was my scene right right on the top of my scene? Basic things, like, you know, where was I right before this scene and where am I going right afterwards? Mm. Just so you can help get that consistency through the, so that you don't leave one scene. Let's just say you and me are doing a scene and I leave really angry. And then I've got a next scene that's directly afterwards and I've forgotten that that moment, that's how I left the scene and I enter the next scene just joyous and <laughs> In nonchalant it's like well hang on that doesn't make any sense <laughs> so as a 15 year old kid that was a really cool lesson to learn mm. um i'd never really done scripted drama like that before so yeah it's um, crazy what was it like for you when um i mean neighbors is a hugely popular show uh, what what was it like for you when people started to recognize you when you'd be out um, yes, yeah, so I was your role. like 15 um, and I guess it was, I mean, let's be honest, I was 15. I thought it was pretty cool mm. like to start off with um, 
and it was never ever something that I was uh, um, like that it was a hassle or anything. Um, it was never that large anyway. Mm. Um, but it was something that you definitely, you know, like anything, got used to, um, and something that, um, I mean, still today, I joined Neighbours, uh, 2004 or five or something like that. So it's been 10 years. Um, I still, still get recognized today. Um, more often these days it's, do I know you? It's like, oh, I don't know. Where'd you go to school? Like here. And they're like... (laughs) Do you have a brother? No, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, you've got a brother. I play footy with your brother. I've seen you at parties. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't have a brother. So I don't think we've... <laughs> Do you got to carry... No, I didn't go to that school. It's like, no, no, I know each other. It's like, well, kind of no. It's like, well, maybe you might... I did do some acting and maybe potentially, you know... It's like, no, nah, I never watched Neighbours in my life. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. It's like, oh, you're just in Natasha? And I'm like, yeah. It's like, yeah, I know Natasha. I'm like, oh, fuck, I look like a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You do get that one a lot when people kind of like, oh, I think I know you, but I'm not sure where I know you from. Mm. Um, and then you let them guess for two or three minutes and then it's a bit embarrassing. I mm. guess you say, oh, maybe, maybe this. And it ends up being your auntie. That's it. It's like, oh, Auntie Kelly, how are you going? It's like, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. <laughs> you look different. You've aged terribly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it was it was good, um, I guess, as a, as a young kid. Um but it was strange, I guess, mm. as well. Because I guess uh, people, that character, those characters are on your TV screen in your lounge room every night. So it's not like potentially like someone like Taylor Swift or someone uber, uber famous. They're kind of, their character and who they are is quite elusive. You mm. don't really know who they are. But when you're playing a character in someone's living room every night, they think they tend to feel like they know you mm. because they're so familiar with what you're bringing on screen that they're enjoying at home every day for four years. So people are almost some people would come up to me and be like, Hey, haven't seen you in so long. What's it been up to? And then they realize that they don't know you <laughs> um, because they just feel so like such a uh, connection. Mm. So that was, that was, I guess, nice and strange. Um, but I guess, you know, art and creativity and acting and all that kind of thing is about touching people and, you know, uh, yeah, so I guess that's if you've if you've been able to achieve that, I guess success. Mm, definitely. Mm. Um, and I imagine that the there's kind of a great camaraderie on the set of neighbours with or with amongst the cast and the crew because you are spending so much time together. Absolutely, and for such an extended period. It's even funny people I don't know from neighbours. It's like you were on neighbours. Ah, oh, we have something deep in common. Mm. Like people that are on the show now, like I have that kind of connection with just because I know what they're going through, what they're doing. Um, and for particular for the people that I did work with on the show, some of my best mates. Like I lived with two guys that were my age on the show. One played my brother, one played my best friend. We lived together in London for about a year. Um, and then we lived in a house here in Victoria for about four years together. Mm. We only moved out about a year and a half ago. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, like best friends. Um, long life friends and people that you see um, I was the 30th anniversary of Neighbours this year so I was at the party for that which was great and got to see a whole lot of you know, faces I hadn't seen for a long time and um, yeah it's very feels like a big family mm. 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 it's lots of fun on set I could imagine um, 
what was it like coming out after four years on the show doing this awesome job every day five days a week for most of the year and then it's all of a sudden it's just stops over. Yeah. i um i uh this this show neighbors was, is is really popular in the uk so i went um straight to the uk and did a pantomime so mm. over christmas they do pantomime that year it was jack and the beanstalk um so i went straight into that and then um to be honest the the idea of not having that consistent work didn't hit me until I got back from the UK. I was there for a couple of years. I was 18 to 20. I was kind of sowing seeds and, you know, having fun and um, going all over Europe. And my best, like I said, my best mate from um, the series was over there with me. We were living together, which was amazing. Um, and I was able to do some pantomimes the next Christmas and the following Christmas and some bits and pieces in between. Um, so I, I wasn't, I didn't really come off a cloud for a couple of years. I was kind of just going with the flow. When I got back to Australia, that's when it kind of sunk in that, you know, this is real life and mm. what am I doing? What am I achieving? And then, uh, you know, started going for more auditions back here in Australia and, and really having to uh, go through that unemployed stage, which any actor is very, very familiar with. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it was that when I got back from the UK that was that was difficult really difficult and was it difficult to kind of go back into like hospitality uh, yeah work? definitely like I, I like I said when I came up with footballer I was working at a bar down at the beach and that's where I was I was there for maybe two years mm. um, and I kind of started there quite soon after I got back from the UK and uh, the main clientele is English backpackers right so it was I guess I, I can't, it was probably a, a bad thing because people would be like, oh, look at that guy. Used to be on Neighbours, look at him now. Mm. Not achieving. And so that was tough. Or the, on the other way, they were, maybe they were really excited to see me and be like, oh my God. Um, but I guess it doesn't really matter what they, how they were perceiving the situation, how I was perceiving the situation that I wasn't um, being the best that I felt I could be or achieving what I wanted to achieve because I was working at a, at a bar, which is not at that time what I wanted to be doing. So mm. yeah, that was hard. Mm. But again, it's great character building. Um, you've got to take something from it. Yeah, no, you <laughs> you've got to learn from it. And, um, and I guess it was those moments and the, the things, the, the adversity that I had in the States that led me to creating and writing my own work and making my own vehicles, which I, you know, I'm so glad that I've found that now because it's something that's so proactive that I can do for myself and, and make happen mm. for, for, you know, my career. Mm. Well, who knows where that kind of trajectory will lead you in a bigger picture. Yeah. You know, having the skills and the facilities to be able to create your own work. I mean, I'm, I think it was shortly after I did audition for Neighbours that I went, you know what, I'm pretty, I was feeling pretty... Um, put off by uh or by constantly auditioning and, and, and feeling very disempowered yeah in, when I, whenever it was when i was 19 or 20 and that was where I, when i decided to go to film school because i was like well if i can't i don't want to live my life um beheld unto other people like giving them my power constantly to decide whether or not i'm worthy of a job so if i can develop and nurture the skills to do this myself then 
in the bigger picture of my you life. Can take control of it. I'll be able to take control of it. Yeah. Um, and which is so refreshing, and <laughs> exhilarating. Yeah. Isn't it, Alistair? Isn't it? It, it is. It certainly is. Um, hey, we made a Trump Fest film this year. There. We did make a Trump Fest film this we year. We just did it. We did. Uh, and and once it airs in February, it's nothing. We've got to start again. <laughs> We've got to do something else. No, I don't think that's true. But I also agree with the sentiment that you can't sort of just rest on your laurels as soon as you've done one thing. It's on to the next thing. Mm. Which for you, you know, you did Footballer and then that was out in the world and some people might have just sat back and gone, ah, and I'm dusting my hands off. He was wiping his hands aggressively. Yes, I was wiping my hands very aggressively um, and might have sat back and gone, well, this is, that's me for 2015. But, you know, you, to your credit, went, well, what's next? Yeah, it's, it's good. Mm. Uh, and now it's like, what's next again? Mm. Trying to yeah, make more things and pitch new ideas. It's all... Uh, it's all a new world. Every every new step for myself and I'm sure for yourself and for any filmmakers out there, it's just constantly um, constantly firsts. Mm. Like the first time you pitch a show, the first time you write something, the first time you make something, the first time you put your work out there, the first time you try and pitch a bigger show to Screen Australia and get real funding or the first time you take it to a producer. Or the, so many cold cold calls I had to make to get footballer up and running. I called 20 or 30 production companies, networks, ABC, um, loads of people, heaps of no's. Oh yeah, cool. No, thanks. Mm. Um, until I got the yes, um, from the production company that we worked with. And yeah, it's just like, keep going at it. I guess if you're passionate and confident about it, just don't stop. Mm. So many naysayers. So many people say no. It's ridiculous. Mm. There's a great um, anecdote that Kevin Smith gives about surrounding yourself by people who say why not, not why. So if you go to, if you came to me and you said, "Do you want to make this film for Tropfest?" and you were like, "Why?" Days, and I was like, "Why?" We wouldn't be sitting here we now. Be sitting here now. And you probably I'm, wouldn't have had the product that we had. Exactly. Um, I'm pretty sure I said to you, "Yeah, why not?" Yeah, I'm pretty sure you told me that anecdote as well when we were on the phone. There you go. Because when you met that guy that that, that week. Ah. Uh, that's why we was couldn't talk week? the day before. Yeah, you were at an all day. You were there, I remember. Mm. No, that was an evening, I think, Earl, at the start of the week. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a pretty... Well, I'm, I'm wrong, you're right, no surprise. God, it's, like, <laughs> it's, just like, it's the relationship that we've ended up building and... <laughs> um, well, yeah. Yep. Great. <laughs> uh, and so you've also done uh, in the kind of wake of doing this Tropfest short, which was the first thing that you've ever directed. Correct. Um, you did a, a director's attachment on Neighbours as well. You went back to... I went back to Neighbours. Uh, nice enough to let me hang out for about six weeks, mm. which was great. Um, I worked with one of the directors that was on the show when I was there back in the day. He's um, He's been there for 30 years wow. since the beginning. So... Um, yeah, it was really cool. Seen it through. Yes, definitely. They uh, I ended up, I think, initially they said, oh, you'll probably get three or four scenes to look after. Um, so literally I get to shoot them, put the cameras where I want them, t- 
tell them what I want them to do, wow. what I want the actors to do. Um, I was involved in the whole pre-production. So I was in the tone meeting for the scripts and the rewrites and location, costume, casting, extras. It was the whole kit and caboodle. Mm. Um, by the end of my six weeks, the director had actually given me 10 scenes Wow! to work, to, to have. He just kept, he's like, do you want to do this next one? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. The ones that he gave me on the spot were all far, far better than the four that I'd prepared. Mm. They were over-prepared. They were too much. I was trying to be too fancy, but the ones that I was just like on the spot, you want to do this one? I'm like, yeah. So it's like, look at the set. What have I got? Who's in it? What do they have to do? It was so much simpler. Mm. Um, Working off instinct. Less, less faff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was incredible and uh, I'm hopefully going to try and do it again next year mm. which would be pretty cool and uh, yeah it was a great experience so is directing is this a new kind of uh, passion that, that's been ignited for you s- since making this Tropfest film yeah definitely um, I think the the whole the whole idea of filmmaking producing writing directing i found a huge passion and love for all of it um and just want to do it more and Mm, get more runs under your under your belt i guess um and i guess it comes back to the same thing that no one's gonna give it to me so i have you have to take it make it yourself write new things find other writers um but definitely yeah i definitely see myself making as much content as i can Mm. And it was, you know, trying to find what content I'm suited for. I had this great idea from when I was 17 that a, it's a wartime drama and I write comedies. Um, <laughs> so that's not a great vehicle for me. So I'm trying to find a writer for that now mm. at the moment, which is also really exciting and fun and, um, you know, feels quite adult. <laughs> so, yes, uh, it's definitely a new, little, a new path for myself, mm. which is exciting. Yeah, Phil and I were... Um employed i guess to develop a show for um a friend over in the states that was drama um and we'd up to this point pretty much been working in the black comedy kind of sphere almost Mm. exclusively yeah so to then actually be looking at something and going oh we're actually and i think we kind of ended up pitching it in a um uh kind of boardwalk empire kind of uh, vibe yep. if you like as a kind of reference point and we're going wow this is really cool yeah it's really cool to be working in something outside of yourself as well yeah yeah exactly um and so what propels you what drives you as a creative what is this what's that kind of spark that makes you want to keep making more and more stuff um, i guess I'm, it's probably going to sound a little bit wanky when you realize that you've got a voice to actually tell stories. Mm. And I guess from when I was a little kid, I, I think I've always been a storyteller. I love telling jokes or I love being the center of attention. Um, uh, no, really, I do. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, seriously. No. Um, and uh, I guess finding other ways to uh, satisfy that need. Um, whether it be writing, um, writing skits or writing a full series, um, writing a feature film, writing a TV, you know, I've, I've written since Neighbours, I've written a treatment for two feature films 
one half hour comedy, another multi-platform choose your own adventure and a serial drama for like, that's five different stories. I mean, mm. maybe all of them are bad, but still, man, but like even if one of those yeah, grows legs and um, it's just fun. Like it's so cool creating characters, creating worlds. Mm. Um, and for myself, it's such a new uh, frontier. Um, and I guess the, the things we've done so far have been successful. Just keep going for it, I, I guess. Yeah, you've got a pretty good, pretty high success rate from your two Good, good track record projects. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember I was reading, I think it was in 2008 or nine, reading an interview with Seth Rogen where he talks about bringing Superbad to Judd Apatow. And um, I think it was around the time that Freaks and Geeks was uh, being made. And um, Judd Apatow said, this is great. Come back to me when you've got a hundred other ideas that are, you know, uh, yeah. like this. He went away and um, and came back with all these ideas. And I thought, what a great concept that you just, you know, you, you don't rest on one idea. Because, you know, particularly in my early 20s, I was so, I'd just write one thing and I'd be like, there it is. That's all. That's my, that's my work. That's yeah. what I'm going to be working on for the next however long until it's made. And so after this, I, I set myself a challenge where I said, I'm going to write one new idea every day for three months. And at the end of it, I'll have 90 new ideas. And even if only 5% of it's good, that's roughly five new ideas that yeah. I wouldn't have had if I didn't do this. And I did. I sat down and I wrote one new idea every day. And if I missed a day, then I had to write two on the day. Sure. And it would just be either one sentence or a paragraph or sometimes it was a full page. And came out of it with 90 ideas of which 85 were awful and, <laughs> but five of them were, were decent yeah, yeah two of them i think were very good yeah um and i developed those further and one of them i ended up writing into a feature script that i you know drafted three or four times and yep. now i don't want to look at but <laughs> back then i thought it was it was very cool and so i think as you say this idea of constantly it's the same thing with like, you know, musicians mm. and it's like they look at their the early music that they released and they're almost like ashamed of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. like just say, say, let's just say it's Justin Bieber. And it's like, well, don't be too ashamed of like your early stuff. It got 1 billion views. Mm. So I think that's okay. But people are always going to cringe when they look at the things that they wrote when they were 18 yeah, or 20. There's a certain immaturity to it. Yeah. And um, probably a pretentiousness that you don't necessarily have when you know that you don't know everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes it's also gold. Mm, that's true. You were talking about um, before writing and telling jokes and things as a kid and being the center of attention. Do you remember the first time that you performed or entertained in front of people? It could just be close family or something. Yeah, I... I was a like as a kid I was a huge show off as well I started dancing when I was four or five um so from then you know five or six we were probably doing dance concerts every year so I can remember doing that every year and I think at one point I was doing 12 and a half hours of dance a week so it was like a lot of dance classes it was probably an an hour of acting class an hour of singing class and 10 hours of dance or something Mm. um but I can't remember it because I was I was too young. But uh, um, my my grandma and my mum loved to tell the story of I, I loved Michael Jackson when I was a kid, um, and so my grandma 
used to, when we were at cafes or restaurants, my grandma used to, as soon as I could start to walk, she would get me to go and to other people's tables and dance for them. Mm. So I would like, and I wasn't dancing. I was just like moving my hips back and forth or something. Um, but I just go up to other people's tables and hold onto their chair and dance and probably really annoying, but my grandma thought I was fantastic. So she was like, go dance, man, go dance. Um, and she'd, you know, put a cap in my hand and ask for me to bring back money. It was probably a bit strange and a bit weird, but a bit inappropriate, but, um, you know, grandma was kind of, you know, a bit hard done by at the time and they needed a bit more money. So mm. she kind of used me as a way to, you know, kind of pay for her cigarettes and stuff, but mm. no, nah, she's, a, she's a sweet lady. <laughs> none of none of that last bit's true no. <laughs> um, she just used to get me to go dance oh that's cool yeah so um i guess performing is so uh intuitive to to me mm. yeah built into your spirit yeah i i do have some of that my, my girlfriend doesn't think i'm funny at all um right. so she keeps me quite grounded yeah like literally the only, I've only ever made her laugh like a handful of times and it's when I'm not trying to be funny. Mm. Um, like when I'm trying to be serious. Like I twisted my ankle really bad two weeks ago, like really bad. And my ankle was really fat and she laughed a lot. She's an osteo, <laughs> she's a doctor. I don't, I don't understand. She just looked at my fat foot and she was just like, just thought it was hilarious. I'm like, babe, come on, have you seen football once in a while? She's like, no, nah, look at the fat foot. <laughs> Jesus, that's what I've got to do. Mm. Well, at least you managed to get a rise out of her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Um, life at home is really great. Mm. Um, yeah. It's just, just you know, me not making her laugh very often. It's really, <laughs> it's, we're a really, really great couple. Like, I think we'll probably stay together for you know, a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for someone who trades off laughter as a currency. It's good. It keeps me on my toes. Mm. Um, I'm also kind of, you know, making the story up a little bit. She does think I'm a little bit funny. Mm. Just not as funny as what I think I'm funny. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure there are many people who think you're as funny as you do. It's probably a fair, it's a fair, um, observation. Mm. Um, wow. I've only known each other for three months and you, you know, you, you just, you know me. Yeah. This is great. I've got x-ray vision, mate. Wow. Yeah. How long have you been with your girlfriend for? Uh, four years. Four years. Yep. And how have you found, because I know that there's, I talk to a lot of people about um, intimate relationships working in the entertainment industry, because there are some people who will only date people who work in the industry because mm. they, outsiders don't understand yeah. in inverted commas. And then there are some people like yourself who date outside of the industry, probably because for the same reason that they don't want yeah. to shit where they eat so to well, speak well my girlfriend um is an osteo now she grew up dancing as well mm. um not acting and such but she has a very she's very familiar with the industry and she understands um in principle uh how it goes mm. but up until this year i hadn't had a role since we'd been together where i had to be intimate with um an actress on set or an actor on set um and uh yeah so footballer wants a wife uh, my character in this in the series um ends up finding love and there's a few kissy kisses um quite intense and passionate ones um and uh she knew that was coming up and i, I don't think she actually to be honest i don't think she did have too many issues with it but mm. the first screening that we watched two days up we filmed for the first two days and then did some screenings of it 
and we both got there at the same time as my kissing scene was being rolled and they were watching through every take of every shot of every camera so she had to watch this kissing scene with me and this other girl about 10 or 12 times Mm. she was just laughing i don't think whether or not she was laughing through nerves or because she just thought it was funny um but it can be it can be difficult i know people that have stopped um going for roles where they have to be intimate with someone for fear of upsetting their partner Mm. um but it can be it can be a difficult one i haven't had anything I'm sure if I was to go and do a role where I had to have a, a full-on um, sexual encounter on, on screen, would probably be a little bit more difficult, a mm-hmm. little bit stranger. Um, but I think if you're in a relationship that's truly open and truly loving, and that's the best way to overcome it. If you're in that situation, the best you know the, the best way that you're going to be able to be okay afterwards is if you're in a relationship that's uh, quite strong. Mm. and open mm. yeah mm. like when i make out with other girls i tell my girlfriend straight away <laughs> yeah you know, it's like as long as you're open about it no. just joke yeah um maybe don't put that in. yeah no i'll cut that bit <laughs> even though i am joking people don't know no no i'll cut that out and so uh she actually came with us to the Tropfest press conference um yeah she did the other weekend um, we, because uh, Tropfest got cancelled, obviously, mm. which was very devastating. Um, I'd already, yourself and myself had already gotten uh, joyously excited and booked our flights for yes. the whole festival. Um, and when I got cancelled, uh, me and my girlfriend decided to keep the holiday going. So we went to Sydney over the same weekend. Mm. And they actually used the date of the original festival to reannounce the new festival and us as filmmakers. So we were there, which was which was nice, and she um she got pretty smitten because Simon Baker was there. <laughs> um, I think I saw her trying to throw me a piece of paper with a number on it or something, but mm, that was my number actually. Yeah. Oh right, that's that's nice of her to do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, P.S. He's way out of your league. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to throw your hat in the ring. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, and I mean, how what a crazy whirlwind experience that's been with Tropfest uh, in terms of it being cancelled and well, finding out that we were shortlisted first and then a couple of weeks later, basically at the 12th hour where when we both thought we haven't been put in the finals, I think we were meant to find out on a Wednesday and as the day got on later and later in the day, this was after Melbourne Cup actually, yeah. after that weekend. I was pretty upset. But getting later and later in the day, and we'd been talking for a couple of weeks pretty confident that we'd made a really awesome film, or knowing that we'd made an awesome film, but confident that we were a good candidate. We'd done everything we could possible to give ourselves every opportunity. Mm. Um, And I think it got to about 4.30 or quarter to 5, and that was when you called me Mm. and said, hi, Tropfest finalist or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did, didn't I? Yeah, Yeah, that's how I did it. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) And I believe my response was, are you fucking serious? Yeah. Did some did some yelling and, and I was like, yeah, mate, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how physically and aggressively angry I was when it got cancelled. Mm. I was at a meeting and I was like, sorry, guys, something devastating's happened. I have to leave. Mm. They're like, oh, shit, someone died. I'm like, 
No, someone has died. Trump it's worse. Died. Um, it's worse. And I left, and I was so upset. I was like, called my mum straight away, and I was like, Mum, have you seen the news? Because you put so much effort and mm. time and love and and hope into something like that, you know, as mm. young filmmakers like we are, something like this is a great um, opportunity for us to be recognised um, for. A job well done, or um, it's a great way of doors being open that are very difficult to open. Yeah, for sure. And just to say that you're a Trotfest finalist um, on a CV or a resume, or to have a even to, you know to go backwards and to have a product that is good enough for Trotfest, then you have a good product. So mm. you know, kudos to you. You've got a good product that you can show people as well. So, um, yeah, it was uh, very exciting and then devastating and then huge relief and now excitement again and then you know now we've got an extra three months to enjoy the (laughs) what if of the evening and the night and the festival Mm. which will probably be even bigger and better than what's going to be yeah um and it's certainly not that we weren't not that we didn't appreciate it but you know it's the old adage you don't know what you've got until it's gone lost it i can remember thinking actually reading through the email that trotfest sent us and it was like you know congratulations and we're really excited and this year looks really great (gasps) excuse me the finalists look amazing um can't wait to meet you all uh uh, pending legalities of your films congratulations you're in and Mm. i was like there's (laughs) no way anything could happen now legalities or Mm. anything like that Everything in our film is fine. And I literally remember thinking, there's no way this isn't happening. This mm. is fantastic. We're in. There's, there's absolutely, there's nothing that can, it's cancelled. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get fucked. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was, yeah, like I said, now we just get a little bit longer to enjoy the whole, the whole process. Mm. There was a feeling among, with us that it was, that something was going to save the show that the mm. show would go on that Tropfest was too big to kind of um, not happen, even if it was just in an online format. Fortunately, I think we're very lucky um, that we get to go ahead with the big, the way it was going to be, way it was going to be. Because I had, n- I've never been to a Tropfest. I've never gone and watched one live, mm. and I've never really seen footage of what the event looked like until it got cancelled and there was lots of media coverage and a lot of B-roll that they were using to tell their story. And so I was watching all this footage of 90,000 people at Centennial Park, <laughs> red carpets, drinks, fun bands, mm. like a huge party. And I was like, great. Yeah. Now that it's gone, I realise how incredible it was. Mm. So Because for me, it was, it was mainly about, and, and as it should be, for the filmmakers about making a really, really good film that gets recognized. And I didn't really, you know, put two and two together that, my God, it's like a huge night as well. It's like mm. a huge celebration of, of short film and people just gather around. And it's like for that night, the 16 filmmakers are just like without the six, without the films, there's, there's no festival. So we're the festival mm. for that night, which is incredible. And it was, it was so sad that we weren't going to be a part of that. Mm. But we are now, so that's all good. Yeah. And it's funny, at the press conference, there was this real team spirit. And obviously, neither of us have been in Tropfest before, so no. you don't know what it's like previously. But a lot of people have been like, is there is 
is there a real sense of competition between the filmmakers? And I said, you know what? It really felt like everyone had really banded together. It felt like this real sense of camaraderie, like we'd been Mm. through this disappointment together of it not being on and coming out the other side. And now, thank God, it it is on and we're all in this together. Like, I won't be jealous in that until, you know, the person does win and then (laughs) I won't like them from that moment. Like, until that moment we can be equals and friends and stuff. But obviously after that point, when they have won and beaten us, then of course, <laughs> you know, we, we, we can't like them. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's just life that, as that's well. That's just human nature. Yeah. I mean, it's just survival of the fittest. Yeah. And if they um, can't run fast enough. Then... And if we win, um, I, if we win though, I, I feel like the others should still like us. Yeah. Um, they will. Yeah, like, well, like, like me. Uh, well, yeah, they, they'll like you and they'll be like, oh, we love Alistair, but Ben's there. It's like, oh, he's okay. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have a killer podcast. Yeah, and I know that feels like like a bit of, you know, a weird, um, you know, double-edged, like, you know, they can't, but we can't, but I still feel like we should be liked and loved if we win. <laughs> um, and I hope that's not too much to ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I feel like that's probably just the right amount to be asked for. Yeah. I mean, you've got an adorable, you know, face and, yeah. you know, you're really charming and that. And I'm kind of like, you know, just like an annoying person that's like around about. a lot. Yeah. And it's like, oh, cool. Look at that little duo of, of, of weird people. But Duo? Yeah, you and me. Saying I'm... A duo. Like, we're t- obviously you're the leader and then I'm like, it's not a duo. It's like a, a partnership of a leader and like Padawan learner. Oh my God, Star Wars. I can't wait. Yeah. This is going to come out before or after Star Wars? No, nah, this will be out well after Star Wars. Fuck. What is Luke? Is Luke the bad guy? Future self. Is he or is he not? <laughs> I won't know. I don't know now, but I will know then. You will know then. Dear future Alan Ben, how was Star Wars? It's fantastic. Um, I, w- I was trying to uh, draw out the duo, because Nick and I are Jewish, as a, way, as a segue into asking you about your religion. And um, your religious experience. Were you brought up religious at all in your home? Um, no, I wasn't. I was uh, baptized um, Anglican, Church of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad's Greek, not Orthodox. Don't think he was ever. His parents weren't really religious, um, so I wasn't really brought up with a lot of religion in my household. We went to Catholic schools or. There was a lot of church at school a couple of times a week. Um, and as kids, you don't really you don't really understand it as much as what you do now when you're adult mm. and have a grasp over what it is that you're actually doing. Like, you know, if you're, wanting, if you're going to have communion at school, I was just like, yeah, I'll get some wafer and some wine. <laughs> you know, you know, I hadn't, you, know, you don't have any real concept of what it is you're doing, mm. um, which probably isn't the best thing. Like I mean, I'm sure they, I'm sure they probably stressed and tried to teach us, and I'm sure, I'm sure the other kids knew what was going on. Mm. I was just like, I just want a pirouette. Yeah. Can't I just jeté? <laughs> <laughs> I'll jeté after my communion. Um, Did you ever jeté on the body of Christ? Well, that's isn't that what the nah. wafer is? Sorry, isn't that what the yeah, wafer yeah, is? no, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. body of Christ. Um, no, I couldn't find a, a, a wafer big enough. Right. <laughs> um, I. Uh, yeah, so not really, not really religious. Um, I feel like there's a there's a higher understanding, or there's some kind of higher power. Or mm. I'm sure we don't know everything of everything yet, but 
to me, everything in my understanding of what I know is pretty well explained through science. Right. It's amazing learning about that kind of stuff. Have you seen that documentary with um, Neil deGrasse mm, uh, called Cosmos? No. It's incredible. Yeah? Yeah. It's amazing. Like, you know, dogs are just wolves that decided to not go hunting and just hang around humans and eat our scraps. Right. That's how they That's how they came to be. That's how they evolved. So over thousands of years from like uh, cavemen times, wolves eventually became uh, dogs through evolution and mm. Darwin because they just decided that it was much easier to not go hunting and just hang out all day and just eat the scraps that we didn't want to eat. Yeah. And then they became kind of domesticized. Domesticized? Domestic. Domestic. Domesticated? Domesticated. Domesticized. Did I make up a word? Have we made up words? Domesticized. Can we look up domesticized? (laughs) We're going to find out if domesticized. I think I made it up. First time the producer's ever been asked to do something uh, on the Google during an interview. No, you've been asked to Google something before? No. It's not a word? No word. Domesticized? We could make one. Domesticated. Domesticated, yeah. (laughs) I look like a right twat. Um, but I, I did know the whole wolf dog thing though. Yeah. Unless I've made that up. Like, but I don't think I have. It was definitely in the documentary. So would you say that you consider yourself to be somewhat of like an evolutionist then? Oh, definitely. I think it really makes my, really confuses me. It makes me angry when, and it's, I also feel like if people want to have their own opinion on things, that's 100% as well. Like I, for me, my understanding, my belief is that, um, like creationism, is uh, a little bit of a crazy doctrine. Mm. Um, uh, it's such a... I feel like it's such a cop-out. Um, yes, I'm an evolutionist. Mm. Um, because for me, for me, that just makes sense. Um, from what I understand to when I see things or... Um, yeah. Yeah, like dinosaur bones were put on earth to test humans faith in god you've heard that one yes so it's like oh these things you know dinosaurs are they can be dated back to 100 million 200 million 700 million years ago it's like no no no. they were here put here to test your faith in in uh god yeah (laughs) i'm just like oh okay which i mean it just sounds like a huge cop out that you could just use for any anything excuse it's like a blanket not here to test you Mm. but but we can prove it not there to test you i guess as long as it's not causing conflict or war and it's helping people to be better versions of themselves and continue an evolutionary process as a race of people yeah and again i say that but if i'm wanting something i can remember being a kid or even recently i'll i'll pray to myself Mm. and i guess that's me praying to my understanding of what it is to to have faith in some kind of um other power or or like you know oh god i hope that doesn't happen or i do that as well Mm. so i guess at that moment that helps me feel better Mm. and helps me to have maybe hope or or um calm you down or something like that there's also that thing about war i mean there's so many wars that have caused by religion Mm. When really, if you look at most religions, all they do is preach peace. Really, most people preach about peace, and yeah, they preach peace and love mm. and um, compassion. And most times, when they're 
being used for other things. It's a very, very small amount of the uh, the written word that's been abused for a, a personal cause or mm. uh, action. Mm. So what do you think the meaning of like why we're here as people, as humans, as people who create um, artists or, I mean, anyone in general, what's your kind of take on that? It's probably something I haven't thought about too often. You know, life for me is a lot, is about creating on every level. I think that, I mean, fundamentally, life is about love and the and, and evolving that kind of feeling and um, one's capacity and ability to love other people and to love themselves. Um, and for me, I do that through creating, through doing a podcast or making a TV pilot. Um, Eventually, I'd like to think creating people um, and continuing this kind of evolutionary process through creation. That's, I guess, what the meaning of life is for me. What What's the meaning for you? Do you, you? worry about, like, the earth? No. I worry about the earth. Yeah. Do you feel like because we were made from the earth and that we're... I mean, we're so abusive of the planet, mm. but no one... Like I care massively about it. Like I, I think about it a lot, and I'm, but I don't, I'm not active. I don't do anything to help turn it around or achieve it. Mm. And I feel like so much more as I'm getting a little bit older. I just see how we just consume so much without thought. Mm. So much of life is what you're expected to experience in life. Mm. Like there's there's rules. That's what you have to achieve to have mattered or make to made a difference in in life or on the planet or um I guess for me, what makes me happy as a human is creating and success and making people laugh or making things um and I feel it's probably very nihilistic, but I kind of go, what does it really matter though mm. in uh you know what happened to one individual? And different individuals are different. I mean, if you're a, a person with great power at some point, the things you do 100% make a difference. Um, but I guess, who, you know what? That's that's wrong. I'm probably wrong. Who knows what I could achieve mm. in my lifetime that will affect the rest of humanity? I think everyone should probably feel that they have the ability to be able to do that and change things. But in the end, what does it really matter? Mm. Well, in the end, it'll all just go up in a puff of smoke, won't it? Potentially, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it used to make me really scared when I used to think about a, an asteroid or a sun, our sun exploding, or an asteroid coming and destroying Earth. Mm. I don't worry about it too much now. Like once a week. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I'm pretty good most of the week. Yeah. Well, I mean, on your point, we all have. The, you know, if you change one person, you've changed an entire world. Yeah, if because it's the and- carry-on effect. Yeah. It's not even necessarily the carry-on effect. It's that, you know, each person is walking around as their own universe and each person is the center of their own universe. You know, I think I'm quite conflicted when it comes to these kind of things because mm. sometimes I feel I feel like, you know, what I just said, I'm like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter and life's like this and I think that's probably just maybe, you know, me struggling to find what it is that I will do to affect Everything. Mm. Um, I do feel like we, a little bit too, as a race, we're a little bit too destructive. Mm. 
and um, that greed and power rules. It's no different. It's not like it's changed. It's not like the 2000s have hit and it's like, oh, people have changed. Mm. We, as a human race, that's just what we are like. Um, the majority of human nature is probably so much different than it was 500 years ago. Um, I think our generation is getting better. I feel like our generation is, I mean, if you were just to look at, let's say, I'm not a vegan or anything. I, I try and eat less meat than I used to, but um, there's a lot more people that are eating differently from our generation with a little bit more thought for the environment than there ever has been, I think. Mm. Um, I know that the meat industry has definitely seen the repercussions of people eating uh, a vegan diet or more vegetarian dating or more organically. Um, so hopefully, hopefully we can take charge of the world ourselves and it'll be mm. a little bit different. But I say that and the people that are making the difference will one day make lots of money and they'll be like, oh, wow, this money's pretty cool as well. Yeah. Wow, I have all this power. That's pretty good. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy a country mm. and kick everyone out. <laughs> so so nihilistic. Um, I don't know. I just, wow, it's really dark, isn't it? My thoughts are dark. I have no faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I just wish we could all love each other and... I've got like a rainbow idea of what the world should be. Love mm. each other, have peace, um, everyone not die. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we, we have to die because that's the natural. Well, that's part of That's the, the life process. cycle. But mm. um, no wars, um, just let people be who they want to be. Mm. Just like, just get on guys. <laughs> Why can't we just be friends? And don't hurt animals and, and um, what's some other things? Um, pay your actors pay your actors a lot of money see we just went into the greed and power thing <laughs> we want to get paid heaps of money so we can make lots of podcasts and destroy the environment with all of our radio stations mm, and I'd like to buy four boats you need four boats? yeah at least wow that's a lot of boats I don't think it's that many no nah, it's it? not it's, it's, not like, like, it's less than one I just need to have more than Russell Crowe how many has he got? I think he's got one. Could have gone with two. Two would have achieved what you needed to achieve. See? Yeah. You're so greedy. Well, See? Just, I just like to... Why did you need more than Russell Crowe? I just I just like to safeguard against... You know, because if he buys... If he sees that I've got two, then he can just go and buy two and then he'll have three. If I've got four, it's a long stretch from one to four. Your reasoning is ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I'd, I think your uh, idea for humanity sounds pretty awesome. Um, to me, I don't think it sounds... You know. oh, it sounds great. Yeah. it's. It, I'm Again, I'm going to be the devil in the room. It's not achievable. Well, no. I mean, but, you know, we're, I think that every generation will hopefully take a step towards that and that will be the ultimate goal in the evolutionary process will be a return to this kind of unconditional love and... As you say, you know, there's a, a, a far greater awareness of our generation for eating better, for taking better care of your body. And with that, I think, comes taking better care of your mind and your spirit too. You know, there's a lot more yoga places around, for example, than I remember when we were growing up. Absolutely. And a lot Hopefully more... it's not a fad. Yeah, well, I guess time will tell and, you know, time always weans out the people who are buying into 
uh, fad as opposed to people who actually carry a belief or a... See, we're like... Humans are too smart to 100% be dictated by theory of evolution. Mm. It's like, if you eat bad... I'm, I'm not really... This is not really founded. I just thought of this just then. Yeah. But like, if, you know... I'm just thinking, if you were to eat badly and live a life that's not very good for your body, mm. you will, you know, maybe uh, get sick or maybe get it diseases or um and you'll you will die off but mm. we're so smart that we can stop so many of the things that would potentially take us away from the theory you know, the evolution evolutionary um cycle mm. that <laughs> all the all the crap parts of humanity are just staying around <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're trying to outwit just, yeah we're just like hanging on yeah. Hang on by a thread. <laughs> well, hopefully we will have platforms in our future to be able to affect the kind of change that we would like to um, see and hopefully that will sustain and continue to evolve. That's what we're going to do. The spectrum. When we're making movies and content that affects people, we can help give them messages mm. of change. mm it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm not. No, I know you're not. Um, and, you know, maybe Tropfest will be the first step in that direction for us. So maybe at Tropfest, we could secretly be wearing T-shirts underneath our suits, if we wear suits, mm. that have, like, uh, messages of change on them. And mm. when we win Tropfest, you know, we can be like, hey, we've got a message, and we'll rip off our shirts, like in a Herculean-style Hulk Hogan style. Mm. Like, I'll rip your shirt off, you rip mine off. It's kind of you know, like, together. It's going to be great. And then um, our t-shirts will have like a message that's um, hope of hope, message mm. of hope Nick and is, change. Nick is uh, nodding his head in approval. So I guess if you were looking for Is he for wanting approval, to rip my shirt off or is he confident about the message? Well, I think he just likes the idea of not wearing clothes to an event. I mean, that's that was... We don't want to confuse people... With that message, we want them to see the message of hope. So maybe, mm. I don't know, maybe we can do it in another, in another way. Because I don't want people to be distracted by um, like us taking our clothes off. Like I can't imagine them getting distracted by you taking your clothes off. But mm. if I start taking my clothes off, so, oh, you know, this Well, guy, if you wear a modesty sock and we tape a scarf. To yeah, me. that's good. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the modesty sock doesn't have to be very big. Mm. Um, no, I imagine it's more like thumbnail, a... Thumbnail. Yeah. Thimble. Thimble. Yep. Thumbnail. <clears throat> And less of a scarf and more just like a, you know, piece of rope. Mm. Mm. Um, well, thank you done. for, uh, thank you for, for, for going there with me with my thinly veiled segue into that <laughs> spiritual discussion. That's probably the worst segue I've ever done on the show, but we managed okay. to make it work. I'm not sure if I had anything insightful to say. Oh, I, um, I found it quite insightful. Oh, that's personally. Um, the listeners may have switched it off by now, yeah, but you, I have very loyal listeners. I think if you don't, if you didn't think, that I had good stuff to say. Just don't tweet me or anything. Yeah. At Benji.Nicholas on uh, Twitter or Benji <laughs> underscore Nicholas. No, wait. Benji.Nicholas on Instagram. Benji underscore Nicholas on Twitter. There you go. I doubt I'll get any followers. You nailed it. They'll be like, I, can I can I follow you and then unfollow you just so I get to unfollow <laughs> Benji? Just so you can see that yeah. I have followed you and now you can't find me in your list. Yeah. Um, there is one question that I like to ask everyone before we wrap up the show and I think it's going to be pretty 
obvious what your answer is to this question. The question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Uh... My personality? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't really... I, I don't often take things very seriously. Um, I'm a joker. Um, this is like the most serious you've been the whole interview. I know. You're taking this question I feel like it's a seriously. serious question. What makes me silly? I'm like, oh, I like to poke my tongue out a lot. <laughs> um, uh, I like to put movie cushions under people's seat. Um, I don't know. What do you think makes me silly? Avoiding the question. <laughs> Is it, do you feel a bit vulnerable with this question? Yeah, I feel like you've opened me up. Um, if you help to tell me what makes me mm. silly, then I will just <laughs> you tell, want me to tell you about it. You. Your certainly your personality and your you have I an, said that. I said that. You yes, have an irreverence. I had it for most of the things that you do. I think, which is quite infectious, and I think people uh, will really loosen up because they feel like you're quite personable and you don't have to be so serious. I wasn't dipping for a compliment. I thought we were talking about me being silly. Yeah, that's what makes you silly. Oh, okay, cool. Good, good. I'm glad that I'm effervescent. You say effervescent or... um, Irreverent. Hmm, interesting. See, things like that that make me silly. See, that's (laughs) that's what I did. Is that good? I did an example instead of saying something. You did. You did. I feel like this whole episode has been an example of that kind of silliness yep mm. cool well, I'll see you on the red carpet yes now um, SBS we... 2 February 14th yeah cool now we've rehearsed um, shall we record yeah let's record one we will, will we rolling